1: Hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and him, Pete George. Well, the season is almost upon us and Albion have continued their promising business in the free transfer market with an OK signing today as Yukoslu returns to the club on a three-year deal. It's a deal that's been met with a lot of excitement from Albion fans and he's clearly a popular acquisition. But Pete, what do you think?
0: I think he would be a quality player at this level. You know, we all saw him in the Premier League and he was... Seemed an incredible signing, Um, very solid defensively and in the air. And he was busy in the Premier League as well, because obviously we're defending for the majority of games. So I think he'll protect that four well um, and do that defensive side of the game. He's decent with carrying the ball, dribbling. um, So he might might be useful to carry the ball forward. Um, But I've mentioned it before, and it's his, his passing, especially his progressive passing that, is a slight concern for me because I think we need a midfielder that would really um, move the ball forward regularly and accurately. And I don't think you could lose that player, but if he's partnered with the right person, then I'm sure it can be a good partnership.
1: Absolutely. I, don't, I mean, first of all, to because before we get accused of being negative on this one, nobody's questioning what a brilliant signing this is. I think getting a player of that kind of quality is an unbelievable bit of business for for free. And the fact that there was a bit of back and forth on it, and I honestly believe that, I know Joe Massey's taken a lot of stick on on Twitter, deeply unfairly, by the way, for purely reporting um, the manager's quotes. I think it was bang out of order, some of the stuff that's been said to Joe. And I honestly believe that when Steve Bruce told Joe Massey that the ship had sailed, to use Bruce's exact words, I honestly think, that Bruce believed that was the case. I, I think I think what the most likely thing that has happened is that Yokoslu has explored his options. He's realised there's probably not quite as many options there for him as he perhaps thought there might have been. And he's probably lowered his wage demands. And therefore, you know, we've managed to get a player for probably less than we should do and probably on less money than we should do. A very, very good player who probably doesn't deserve to be in this division. But the simple fact is that he played 734 club minutes last season, which is the equivalent to eight games. So it's a difficult one because who takes a player that has played that little football in the last 12 months? And I think to a certain extent, I know everyone's really excited about this deal. I'm really excited about this deal. And we'll talk a little bit more about... Where he's going to play in just a moment. But I think, Pete, one of the things that I would preach on this one is a little bit of patience because, similar to a player coming back from an injury like DK, and I've said this to a few people on on Twitter about DK, you know, because people have been saying some ludicrous things about, you know, him not being up to it and Zahor Mark II and all these sorts of ludicrous things. The guy has just come back from a long term injury and he is feeling his way back into, into, competitive football obviously he's not playing competitively at the moment because it's friendlies but he is feeling his way back into into playing regular football similarly yukoslu has not had an injury but he has played very little football in the last 12 months eight games the in in equivalent minutes is not a lot of football that's across all competitions as well by the way in in club games not including his international matches and i think we are going to have to be a little bit patient with him what do you think
0: yeah, definitely. Um, he struggled for minutes these uh, last season. Um, and the other thing talking about his minutes is he spent about half of them playing in centre-back. So it might just take a bit of time to almost get used to being back in centre-mid because he was playing as part of a back three as a centre-back for, like I say about half the minutes. But yeah, patience. And I mean, we've seen what he can do when he's, you know, fit in and, and been playing. We saw that in the Premier League. He protected the back four just what we needed really, because we were really struggling. Um, and if he can do that at a similar level in the championship, then you'd think O'Shea and Ajay and Bartley or whoever might have too much to do.
1: Yeah, let's hope. And just on that, because we're talking about him protecting the back four there, but we had obviously we had a bit of a conversation after the Jed Wallace signing was announced about what did we need, need next. And you were very clear in that conversation that you felt that because the Rothwell ship had sailed, I think he basically signed for Bournemouth the day we recorded. I think, if I remember correctly, and you were you were like, look, that ship sailed, but that is very much the profile of player that we should be going for. Somebody who is who progresses the ball through midfield. Now, okay, Costello is an outstanding footballer if we get him to the levels he was at for us in 2021, but he is not that profile of player. And if you compare, if if you Almost take what we are now and um, try and model it on the team that got promoted under Slaven Bilic. For me, he's more the Livermore role than he is the remain Sawyer's role. First of all, is it fair for me to say that I see him more in the in the sort of sitting role? Probably more well, definitely more dynamic than Jake, um, and definitely more reliable than than Jason Malumbi, but. I feel like he's that one, and I wouldn't probably. I wouldn't particularly like to see Malumbi or Livermore as the one alongside him. I think out of the existing players we've got, and assuming that's the end of Bruce's business in in midfield or in central midfield, assuming that's the end of him signing central midfielders, I think out of the current incumbent, the one I would want to see alongside him is Alex Moat, um, or potentially, as I know you 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 kicked around on Twitter maybe Swift dropping a little bit deeper. But I personally, having seen the way Swift gambled in on, uh, uh, at the back post for the goal against Crew, want to see more of that and would le- not like to see him as restricted. I would personally like to see Mowat in alongside Jokoslu, which I think Jokoslu's signing not only definitely improves us in the defensive midfield position, but for me, it makes Alex Moat a very, very important player for this coming season.
0: Yeah, I agree with most of what you just said there, especially with John Swift. Do you want him in a more attack? I do
1: like the caveat of most, Pete. (laughs) You're leaving yourself room to breathe there, which I like.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I think most of it, probably all of it. But yeah, especially with Swift, we want him in attacking areas really, don't we? Um, And getting into the box, combinations on the edge of the box and basically in the attacking areas. Um, So not really... As an eight, more of a 10. Um, and I would agree with that Mo is probably the best profile to play alongside Dukushlu, purely because he's probably the best we've got at progressing the ball um, through his passes. Mulumbi could maybe play with him. He's not particularly good at moving the ball forward with his passes, but he's all right at carrying the ball forward.
1: Malumbi worries me mate I, 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 I feel like somebody needs to get through to Jason Malumbi that I I think he feels like he's a better footballer than he is and I don't mean that disrespectfully I mean in terms of technical ability I think he overrates himself and tries to do things that he's not capable of and that gets him into trouble
0: Yeah maybe um, but you know he's still young so if he gets minutes in then he's then he- might mature a bit and develop a bit further, and and make a a decent partner, or even a backup or a replacement, or whatever. To Yakuzlu. yeah, I don't really. See, I think if we play Livermore alongside Yakuzlu then I think it's very almost negative, just a bit stale, really. Um, I think then we'd need both fullbacks really pushing on and playing attacking, but I don't really see how we move the ball forward particularly yeah,
1: well. Because it's worth it's worth noting that you know. Under Allardyce, when when he was in the side, he had Gallagher and Maitland-Niles, which is very dynamic.
0: Yeah, and we were less reliant on being consistent in moving the ball forward. We kind of more win the ball and get it get it forward pretty quickly. Under Bruce in the Championship, we're probably going to see a lot more um, possessions, so we're going to have to be more accurate and and yeah, more accurate when we're moving the ball forward. And just trying to keep that ball as long as possible and getting our quality players in the attacking third on the ball. Which, I mean, the recent signings, we've obviously got a lot of quality going forward.
1: I mean, we've just, we've touched a bit upon it there, but Pete, I just want to kind of drill down a little bit more. What do you think this signing means for Jason and and Jake Livermore? Because... I have, uh, I could be way off base here because I've got no inside sources on this. I've got no insight into what Steve Bruce's thinking or opinions are, but I can't help feeling that he's not overly enamored with the fact that Jason Mullumby was a done deal before, which he had no power over vetoing whatsoever because he'd, he'd hit the threshold of games and we had to sign him. Uh, I can't help feeling that, if Bruce had had the choice, Jason Mullumby would not be a player that he would have. And I mean, you've got to think that if we've signed Jokoslu on a three year deal and he's agreed to come, then there's got to have been some semblance of promises that he is going to be a first teamer um, and he's going to be a starter. It would seem crazy to sign him if he's not. And if we are saying, if we are right in saying we could be bang wrong here because you know, it happens from time to time. Um, we could be bang wrong in saying that Moet's the one that plays alongside him but I would be fairly confident that he will be because nothing else seems to make any sense. If that's the case Livermore and Malumbi trying to split backup games, backing up Yokozlu between them seems to me like well, there's not, there's not a lot of point in them both being there is there?
0: No, I don't think so. Um, I can't really see. I can see more of a case for Malumbi playing alongside Yerkeslu than Livermore. So I don't really see where Livermore fits in, other than backup. But will he want to be backup in the last couple of years of his career? I mean, he's. I'd say he'd still be a decent centre mid for quite a lot of championship clubs. So I'm sure he'd want to get get minutes played. But then the issue is you you're losing your captain who's apparently a big character in the dressing room, even if he has his, his lapses on the pitch, his red cards and that. But I think in terms of character, Livermore would be a big loss. Um, I agree that Bruce probably wouldn't assign signed if he had the choice. Um, otherwise, I can't see why he'd be bringing in centre-mids. So they're not similar, but Yokozli is not the...
1: They play his position.
0: Yeah, basically, is what I'm getting at. Um, and then the other worry is... Gardner Hickman. He just seems to be getting pushed further and further down the pecking order. And unless Bruce sees him as a right back or a right winger, maybe, then it doesn't look like he's going to get too many minutes this season.
1: Yeah, well let's talk about him because I, I wanted I wanted to come to Taylor because I'm confused on this. I I don't see where he gets game time. I mean, there is. There's. We've been linked with a right back all summer. It, names have been kicked around. James Bree. I've heard Lewis from Newcastle. I've heard. I've heard a few names. Uh, whoever, whoever it might be, if indeed we do get one, because there's no guarantees that we do get one. But it seems like Bruce wants somebody who is not Taylor Gardner Hickman. Backing up Furlong. And I think that's been further emphasized by the fact he's even tried Matt Phillips at right back in pre season. So I'm not sure he's convinced by Taylor as a right back. And by the way, neither am I. I don't think, uh, I, I think the poorest we've seen of Taylor Gardner Hickman has been at right back. But I really like him in central midfield. But unless there's some serious outward movement, I'm sorry, but Swift, Livermore, Malumbi, Yukoslu, Moat, Phillips could play in there. He played as a, he came on as a ten against uh, against Crew. I don't see at the moment where Taylor Gardner Hickman gets a sniff. And if I'm honest, I I really I'll be disappointed if this happens. But if I'm honest, at this moment in time, I really, really could see Taylor Gardner Hickman going out on loan before the end of this window.
0: Yeah, like you say, there's a lot of players seemingly ahead of him at the minute in central midfield and Bruce doesn't, based on rumours and who's played there in pre-season, he doesn't seem to fancy him as a right-back too much. Um,
1: but then he could, doesn't seem as a centre-mid either, he said.
0: No, so where does he see him? Maybe as a, a winger? I think he played there early on in his, his youth career. Um, so maybe Bruce will look to develop him there. I'm, we haven't really seen him there too much, but I'm not convinced from what i have seen of him but Although, i
1: mean uh, sorry pete just to jump in or oh, there's also the possibility and we need to consider this that bruce doesn't care about developing him because what we have done this summer is we've brought in swift who will be on a lot of money wallace who'll be on a lot of money yukoslu i believe we got a good deal on but he will still be on a decent amount of money and outgoing at, so far has only really been Kipre who obviously Johnston went, which is a decent saving, but Kipre won't have been on a great deal of money. Rumours that Robinson will be going as well, which will save us a bit. But in reality, probably our wage bill isn't any less than it probably was at the end of, uh, end of last, uh, uh, last summer, uh, sorry, last season. And at the moment, there's an element of promotional bust about this. And maybe m- maybe it's just as simple as Bruce doesn't want to put faith in a kid.
0: Yeah, it could be, and when I was looking at what we need to do in the transfer window, one of the key things was to lower the average age of the squad, and it doesn't seem to be that Bruce is particularly interested in that at the minute. Um Wallace and Yacuzli are both, I think, around about 28. Um
1: They are both 28, yes.
0: 28, and Swift 26, I believe. So, I mean, Wallace and Yacuzli are both on the older side of their pl- playing careers. Um still got plenty of time left in them, but
1: yeah. And if uh, and if rumors are to be believed as well, Pete we're being we are being and we'll come to this in more detail a bit later on in the pod, but we are being linked with um, w- with a couple of strikers well into their 30s as well.
0: Yeah, so it's, it seems to be what Bruce is going for, which is I mean it's probably useful if you're gambling on promotion, you want a senior squad that's Got the experience and and has played a lot of minutes in the league in the past, and you know knows how to win promotion and all that. But when you're looking into the future and long-term planning, then it might come back to bite you if you've got a handful of experienced senior players on decent contracts in terms of money and length. Um, you know, if we don't get promotion, are we going to be able to afford them long-term, etc., etc.? But it seems like Bruce is pushing for senior players in experience rather than developing the younger players.
1: Absolutely. And I, I saw a tweet from somebody earlier today saying people owe Ron Gourlay a lot of apologies. I don't subscribe to that view. Let's see let's see where we are in 12 months. Let's see where we are in 18 months. Because if if this works out and we get in the Premier League, then you have to say that fair play to Ron Gourlay. He's rolled the dice and he's won. You know, because the parachute payments reset, we don't have we don't really have to worry about the three year contracts that we've handed out this uh, this season. They all pay for themselves. We get rid of your Bartleys and your Livermores next uh, next summer. Um, we get rid of Phillips the summer after that, and and all is well with the world. But if we don't go up this season, which is what I've said before, which is what I said before, it's promotional bust a little bit, then we've got a lot of players on a lot of money on quite lengthy deals who could end up being a real weight around our neck. And I don't want to be negative because just to clarify, I think we've done some great business. I think we've, we're building one heck of a squad and I think we're probably, I mean, I personally wouldn't, I'm I'm not, I, uh, I'd rather see a place found for Taylor Gardner Hickman in this squad. I kind of, almost feel like we're, we're a centre-forward. And if we can shift another centre-half out and bring one in, great. Away from being having a really, really cracking pre, uh, championship squad. So I'm really quite positive about this coming season. But equally, from a financial point of view, and I can't help but think back to what Jacob Hawley said on our pod when uh, when Ron Gourlay was appointed, and the words of Reading fans ringing in my ears, that this is what this guy does. He spends and he spends and he spends. And in the end, and and by the way, I think he spent well, but he's still spending. And it does. It's just a caveat. I'm not trying to sort of like, I'm not trying to pour cold water. In fact, cold water would be lovely today. I'd I'd happily pour cold water over everything today, actually, because it's absolutely blooming boiling. But um I, I don't want to. I don't want to be miserable about it because I think this could be a season where we really enjoy. Uh, which we really enjoy. I think watching Swift and Wallace could be fantastic. If DK gets going, we could have an absolute hero on our hands uh, as a centre forward. I think Yukoslu is the kind of player. He's big. He's powerful. That you just love to watch. Uh, watch play football. I think this this could be a really really fun season. But at the same time, we've got an owner who we know. He either hasn't got any money or he doesn't want to put his own money into the football club. And in fact, he's far more interested in taking it out than he is putting it in. And he's not that interested in putting what he's taken back at, uh, back in, uh, as we've seen with the with the accounts coming out. And it worries me a little bit for the long term future of the football club, that if we were to not get up this season, what does this summer of good but relatively expensive in terms of wages transfer business mean for the longevity of our football club Uh, tell me i'm being miserable pete and to and to buck up and cheer up
0: well no i do partly agree with you there that we do need to think long term and kind of expect the worst if we don't go up then where are we looking what are we looking at rather than hang on look at this quality squad we're building we're definitely going up because if we don't then then we might be in trouble but i think the the one bit of bright news about that is that I believe the um, the actual wages that were shown in the accounts weren't, I think they were the lowest out of all the, because it was for the Premier League season, obviously, were the lowest out of all the Premier League teams and one of the best ratios to revenue. So we're, despite loans being taken out and money being taken out of the club up to this season, or up to the start of last season even, the wage structure was still quite good, so...
1: And it's worth noting as well that if if, if Lie does live up to his word, and I will a hundred percent believe it when I see it, and puts that money back in in December, that we actually are in a pretty decent place.
0: Yeah. So, from what looks like a solid wage structure, and with Johnston leaving and Sawyer's and and Carroll, I mean I know they're not apart from Johnston, not massive amounts of of wage budget, but I think there is a little bit of movement room within that wage budget to mean that these signings are kind of affordable at the minute. Um, It might limit the amount we can gamble in the coming seasons if we don't go up this season. We might kind of be stuck with a a squad with very little ability to make any big signings again. It's probably our last season of, of big signings, if you like, if we don't go up. But I think at the minute we're probably financially sound
1: just one last word on Yukoslu before we move on I just uh, I just want to give you uh, give you some numbers that I pulled uh off who scored earlier today from the 2021 season which kind of just shows the guy's value to the side he had 2.4 tackles per game which was the second highest in the squad behind Conor Gallagher 2.2 2- Interceptions per game, which is way more than our next highest, which was Daro Shea on one point six. His dribbling stats were pretty much on par with most of our center mids. He was also he also won a lot of fouls. He was second only to uh, only to Gallagher. He he won more fouls than Pereira, which really surprised me. And um, he actually had the second highest pass completion stats of any player with ten or more starts. Whose name wasn't Remain Sawyer's because Remain Sawyer's is whatever you think of him. His passing, his pass completion numbers are always absolutely ridiculous. Okay, he commits he commits a lot of fouls. Um, he he committed the most uh, uh, the most fouls per game of anyone whose name isn't Jake Livermore, which again is not a massive surprise to uh, to anybody. But when you look at, and those numbers it's worth caveating; those numbers are in the Premier League, not in the Championship. This guy was a beast defensively in the Premier League, eight, eight games last season is a worry because how fit he's going to be is a question. But if we get him fit and firing and at that level of the player that we saw in the Premier League, he should dominate the championship, shouldn't he?
0: Yeah, I'd say so. And um, obviously defensive numbers like interceptions and tackles, et cetera, are going to be higher when we're playing in the Premier League, when we're defending more. But even when you look at um, his defensive duels, one as a percentage, he was in the 95th percentile, so the top 5% of Premier League deep midfielders when he was playing for Albion. Um, and very similar for his season for Getafe as well. So he's he's very strong in his duels. And even when you look at like interceptions and you adjust them for the amount of possession a team has, he's in the 73rd percentile, Percentile for the league, so still very high. Um, as a raw number, we'll probably see his actual defensive numbers drop a little bit in the championship purely because the opposition will have less of the ball, will have less defending to do. But the signs are that he's actually a quality in his defensive actions as well, rather than just you know, just seeing a having a lot of defending to do and doing that, he's doing it at a, a good rate and good success. So
1: Is there a likelihood as well, though, that, you know, I agree with you, obviously the numbers are going to be higher defensively when he's playing in the Premier League because we do more defending. But equally, because the midfielders aren't going to be as good defensively in in the Championship, some of his ball-carrying numbers, which actually were pretty decent in the Premier League, could get even better in the Championship.
0: Yeah, hopefully. Um, Obviously, with a a drop in quality, you'd expect... um, you know, the numbers to kind of improve because it's not your Yacouche's quality that's dropped, it's his opposition. So you think he'd be able to do what he's done at a better um, completion, a better just raw number um, in terms of progressive carries and, and progressive passes. Yeah, a lot of his passes that he attempted were progressive passes, but I think that was a lot to do with Valadice's style that he wanted to get the ball f- forward quickly. And then the worry is that His accuracy in them wasn't great, but, you know, with a better um, relative quality squad around him with Swift and Wallace and Grant to move the ball forward to it might be easier for him to progress the ball and therefore, you know, have a higher completion rate.
1: We're going to talk about the striker links in just a minute and the specific players that we've been linked with. But Pete, before before we get into that, I just want to ask two general questions. First, the first one is, I think it would not be an unreasonable assumption to say that against Middlesbrough, the team may well look something like Buttoning, Goal, Furlong, and Townsend as the fullbacks. Two out of O'Shea, Bartley, and Ajayi as the centre halves. I'm going to assume your Costello is not going to be match fit and say it will either be Livermore or Malumbi alongside Moat. Wallace, one side, Dean Garner, the other, Swift, and DK up top. So, my questions twofold are one, how balanced do you think that starting 11 is? And pivoting then to the wider point, how balanced is the squad generally at the moment? I think the
0: starting 11 is pretty balanced. Um, I think, I mean, we've kind of been saying it this whole time that we are lacking that real quality player on the ball. Mo, it's probably that player that we're relying on to do that job. Um, but in terms of starting eleven, I think that's the only area that I'd be slightly concerned is we don't have the, the ball progressor to do it consistently and regularly. Uh, um, so as a starting eleven, I think it's, you know, it's probably one of the best in the championship at the minute. But whether we've got enough depth in certain areas, you know, back, quality options in centre-back and... I suppose the goalkeeper could slightly come into question. I mean, it's a downgrade from Johnston, but Button could well be good enough to to operate in the championship at a decent level. So I think starting eleven, it's well balanced and and high quality. It's just I think a few more additions are needed in certain areas, but more as backup rather than competition for starting places.
1: And one area where we do seem determined to strengthen is center forward and that's fairly understandable because from what i have seen and read of our pre-season we've created quite a lot of chances and our finishing much as it was last season you know the accusations of xgfc from the black country you can laugh about expected goals all you want but what the reality of what our expected goals numbers showed last season was that we created enough chances, but our finishing was poor. And I feel like that's probably continued into pre-season. That's not a criticism of DK. As I say, he is feeling his way back from a long-term injury, and you would expect anybody to be rusty after, uh, after a fairly lengthy layoff. So not an enormous surprise there that he's not at 100%, because as Pete said previously on this pod, his conversion rate numbers are actually absolutely frightening. Previously in his career, and let's hope he gets back to those levels. We do seem fairly determined to get another striker in to back him up. The four main names that seem to be being kicked around are Lewis Graben, who is obviously without a club at the moment after being um, released by Nottingham Forest, Dwight Gale, who is Still a Newcastle player, although there is some suggestion that he that we could come to some agreement um, for them to either terminate his contract or for that to be a loan, Adam Armstrong from Southampton, who would almost certainly be alone if that one was to happen, and Cameron Archer from Aston Villa, who would definitely be alone if that one w- was to happen we'll go through each one individually in in just a, just a moment there Pete, but from your point of view, is there any there? If if you if I said to you, pick out the one that you definitely wouldn't want and the one that you definitely would want, which two names would you pull out of those four?
0: So, out of that four, I think two that I would want would probably be Archer and Armstrong. And then the two that I wouldn't would be Gail and, and Graben. Um,
1: oh, here we are agreeing again, Pete.
0: I think Gravin would be quite close to sneaking into the two that I would want. Um I And now you is...
1: do surprise me. Now you do because I I've I've got I've got a moderate tirade about why I wouldn't want him in a moment, but you continue, good sir.
0: Okay, I was just going to go with it based on his numbers last season. I mean, I didn't get too many minutes, but you know, his xG numbers in open play and if you're looking to someone of a similar style to DK that can also hold up the ball, um and Graben is a good player. Um, you know, I think he had one of the highest XG per shots, so he gets shots up in good areas, as well as a decent number of them. Um, and if we sign him on a, a short term deal a year or whatever, then I think he could be a good backup to DK and and um, you know, provide a bit of experience as well that DK might you know, he might learn a few things or, one, a thing or two off, off Graben with his experience at this level.
1: Okay well, I'll go into the case against on on grab and i mean I do agree with the point that um that that he has the physicality to be a backup for for DK. I kind of looked at this slightly differently though that the with our midfield as it is at the moment, I would like whoever comes in to have the functionality to almost be a partner for d k dropping swift back into the eight role if we needed to do that and 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 almost changing to a more traditional four four two if um it, If if we, if we so desired, but on Graben, it was just a few things. I mean, first of all, the fact that the guy's 34 worries me quite a lot. I I did genuinely, I really want to see us bring the average age of the squad down. And for me, 34 years old. No, not, not, not really. But then his injury record, he missed 14 games last season through injury. He missed 11 the season before it's a big, big concern. Uh, sorry, the, the, those games. I've, I've slightly massaged the numbers for last year because I've, I have included the three playoff games, which he missed all three of through uh, through injury. But so eleven regular season. If you don't, if you don't want to count the playoffs, but even so, that would be twenty two games over two seasons that he's that he's missed um, uh, missed through injury, and that's not that's not counting one through COVID at the start of uh, at the start of one of those seasons. Also. People seem to talk about him like he's this big goal scorer in, in the division. I mean, he did appear 32 times for Forrest last season. He got 12 goals, two of which were penalties, but 10 of those 12 were before Christmas. And he barely scored after uh, uh, after Christmas. His numbers were really poor. And then you go back to 2021 and he only got six goals in twenty seven. You go before 2021 and his numbers are good. There's no denying that. But, and I don't watch an awful lot of Lewis Graben, but taking him purely on the data, what I see is one, a striker who is streaky and seems to score his goals in blocks. We've got that in Carlin Grant. We don't, I personally don't think we need another one. A striker who is quite injury prone over the last two seasons. And I feel a striker who is, on the decline. Um, And I don't really want to see any of those things. And then look, just, and I might be being massively unfair here, but what I've seen and read about him, what I saw in the, in the Sunderland till I die documentary, he did not come across as a great character. And I think we need good personalities in the squad. I would caveat that by saying he's worn the armband a lot for Forrest. So obviously at some point, somebody's thought quite a lot of him, but also even when he did get back fit last season for for a period of about half a dozen games, it wasn't like Steve Cooper threw him straight back in. He kept with Davis and Surridge. He obviously he did, and he hasn't fancied him enough to give him any sort of a role this season, which is a little bit surprising. Okay, he's thirty four, but he's got a bit of Premier League experience, and he's he is, he is the he was the team's captain. You would have thought maybe that. Cooper would have found a role for him, but he obviously doesn't overly fancy him. I don't know. There's For me, Pete, I just don't feel like there's enough there to to get my teeth into, to get excited about. I, I just I just worry it would be another older player whose best years are behind him.
0: Yeah, and that's why I'd say if we did go from then to hopefully be a one-year contract just to see us through this season as a backup more than a, a partner, really. Um, I've got as... Open play xG numbers for the season just gone, and he registered about zero point four xG per game. So that's almost a goal every what two and a half, two and a half games, and finishing yeah, at a he, decent he, rate.
1: I mean, but he also misses some sitters. I remember him missing an absolute sitter at the Hawthorns in, I think it was the two two game um, in the season that we made the we made the playoffs. I, I, somebody will correct me on Twitter. I'm sure if if I'm wrong, but. I mean, I've seen him miss some absolute howlers. Yeah,
0: but I think, you know, I think every striker does now and again. I've got his finishing rate at about what you'd expect compared to expected goals. You know, it's not like Jordan Hughes, who was, you know, like 50% or something, but, you know, that was a ridiculous case. Um, so, you know, every striker misses cities. So I don't think that's something to hold against him too much. Um, but, you know, it would be a case of, of short-term planning again and not trying to bring the average age of the squad down. But then I suppose so would loans for Armstrong or Archer.
1: No, but, uh, but, but then, but then equally, I mean, it's his availability that worries me as well, because he spent a lot of last season uh, injured and comparing that to Gale, who obviously is 32. I personally, Gale would be third on my list of the four strikers that we've just named. Grabham would definitely be last, but Gale, for some reason he gets tagged as a, as a perennially injured player, but he actually hasn't missed a game through injury from what I can see according to, according to transfer marked since November, 2020, he's just, just didn't get picked a lot because, you know, you've got people like Wilson and Almiron and Chris Wood and people like that ahead of him in the Newcastle pecking order. It kind of is what it is, unfortunately for, for Dwight Gale. I think with him, for me, he's he's above grabbing. OK, he doesn't bring quite the same physicality, but as Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Sand said on, on our special, he is an incredibly hard-working player. He always seems to score goals at, at this at this level. He was absolutely fantastic for us in 18, 19, 24 goals, but also eight assists. So he does both sides of the game really, really well. The big concern for him, with him, is nine games, 106 minutes Last last season, I mean, 106 minutes. He's he he hasn't he's barely played. Just it, it, you take injury time into it. That's barely a football match. Um, in the last 12 months, that's what he's that's what he's played, and that's why Dwight would be. I mean, th- his age one thing, 32, but also it's that lack of minutes why he would be third on my list, and but but th- th- why he's above Grabben. For me, other than the fact that I genuinely think he would score a lot more goals, which obviously is a huge plus for a striker, is the fact that Graben's been injured a lot and Gale hasn't.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the issue with me for Gale was purely the lack of minutes. Um, you can't tell if he has declined as a footballer because um, he hasn't played, so you can't, you can't see, um, which would be my worry. I've got, he might be just as as good as he was in that was it 18, 19 season we had him when. he he scored however many goals with Rodriguez um, but having not seen him play really for a whole year you can't really tell that which would be my concern Um, and why I'd have him last on my list I mean I loved him when we had him and thought he was a quality striker but that would just be my concern It's worth
1: noting as well it's not just one season Uh, 2021 he, he appeared 20 times but that only totaled Five hundred and forty-three minutes, which, which, which again is what? What's that about the six, total, uh, games. six games? Yeah,
0: yeah. And you know, playing what seven games over two years, it's going to have an effect on the player as well as not being able to see whether they've, you know, kind of fallen behind in terms of quality. But it's just lack of game time. As a footballer, you, you need that game time to, you know, if not improve then stay. The same standard as you were before.
1: I, I mean, I think Yucoslu is a good signing, um, but have we got to be a little bit mindful of nostalgia signings? You know, Yukoslu, great. Please, we've got him in. But then Ben Foster's obviously trained with the club, and I've seen some people saying we should sign Ben. Loved Ben when he was at the Albion. You know, Dwight Gale. People want him back. Have we got to be careful of try not trying to buy? who these guys were rather than who they maybe are.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you know, it's been a number of years since we last had Gail, what about three years. So, you know, I'd be surprised if he came if he did come back then if he came back as the same player as he was when we when we last saw him. Um, you know, I loved loved having him having him at Albion and loved watching him play, but you know, it's it's it was a long time ago, so I think we need to be looking forward and seeing who we can bring in that can do what Gail did back then, rather than just kind of getting stuck in the past and and only looking at players that we've you know that we've seen at the Hawthorns before.
1: Well, moving on to the the last two on the list, I mean, for me, I think certainly the most I don't want to say the best, but uh, but I I, w- I would say the one who is probably most guaranteed to get you the goals that you would want would be Adam Armstrong. I think he'd be an unbelievable signing. My only issue with bringing in Adam Armstrong would be how on earth are you going to sell it to Adam Armstrong if DK is going to be your number one striker and you are going, unless you're going to push Swift back into the eight and genuinely play two up top. I don't see how you sell the project to Adam Armstrong and sell it as a good deal uh, as a good loan for him if he is going to have to share minutes with DK. I, I can't see why after last season where he he still played 23 times in the Premier League, but quite a lot of those were off the, off the bench and only scored two goals and three assists so only five goal contributions, the guy is going to want to get back somewhere towards the numbers that he had in the championship. The years prior, and he is a player who is always available, always available. I mean, didn't from what I can see, didn't miss any games last season through injury. It was purely through being dropped and them preferring people like Brozier and uh, and Shay Adams. Um, and he, you know, he played forty four games uh, one season, forty six another, and forty another. Those were his three championship seasons for Blackburn. If he came into us, unless Bruce is going to play a different shape to the one that he has shown in preseason and drop Swift a little bit deeper, I don't see how we are going to appeal to Adam Armstrong as as a good place for him to come and get minutes because I can't see why i would want to share them with uh, w- with with um, with Daryl D. K. If you can sell it to him, he's an unbelievable signing. Twenty tw- uh, twenty one. 28 goals, 5 assists, so 33 goal involvements, Um 19, 20 16 goals, 6 assists, so 20, uh, 22 goal, uh, goal involvements. That's 55 goal involvements over two seasons. He would be an unbelievable signing. I just can't see why he'd come, though, Pete.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think if we did bring him in, then we'd have two pretty unhappy strikers. Armstrong wouldn't want to share minutes with DK and DK wouldn't want to share minutes with Armstrong and John Swift probably wouldn't want to be moved deeper because he'll want to be scoring goals and getting involved more as a 10 rather than an 8 so yeah I don't see how it all fits in as well as then having if Swift's playing as an 8 as part of a two man midfield then we've got another what three or four midfielders that aren't playing and then they're not going to be happy so I don't think we'll be shifting formation and since that's the case then I can't really see how he fits in, like you say. Um, Number. If, if, suggest...
1: if, if he brings in another forward, do you see somebody moving on as a consequence of that? If if it is shifting Swift deeper, perhaps Malumbi gets shifted out on loan, um, or maybe there's even maybe a concerted effort to try and move Grant on.
0: Yeah, potentially. Because um, we, I think, if we were playing four four two with the two midfielders as, as Yacoublu and Swift, then we need to move on at least one of the midfielders whether that be permanent or on loan I mean is pretty unlikely to be permanent and Taylor Garden Hickman's pretty unlikely to be a permanent transfer away so in that case it would be I think Livermore or Mo would be the most likely but like we've said Moat's probably the best fit with Yakuzli. so we're we'll almost getting to a point where we've got a squad of too many players and we do need to start moving some on um, I think Grant we'll start the season as the um starting left winger left midfielder whatever you want to call him um and Grady g- I think so to start off with
1: I mean obviously um, we don't know how bad Grady's turned ankle is again uh, from from against crew but working in a hypothetical world where 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 Grady's fit uh, you you think Grant would finish uh, start above him? Because uh, I'm 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 a bit surprised that I think he, from what I've seen he seems to have been the standout performer in preseason. Grady.
0: Yeah, to be honest, I've not watched an awful lot of the pre-season. I've seen the highlights and seen some good stuff from Grady, but I think I think Bruce would prefer Grant. Um, I think direct contributions he he does a bit more. You know, he gets the goals and does get assists. On occasion, I mean that was more linking up with Callum Robinson, who's looking like he might be on the way out. But I think you'd start with Grant, and then I think there'd be a fair bit of rotation between him and Grady.
1: Just finishing off this striker chat. Um, obviously, the last one on the list is Cameron Archer from Aston Villa, um, which would, if he were to come in, would definitely be a loan. Um, I mean, I, to be honest, I can't see us doing any business that's not frees or loans this uh, this uh, summer. To be to be fair. I think from process of elimination, from what we've said, do we both think that he's he he's the best option uh, purely because as a young player, he's 20 years old, he would probably accept a certain level of rotation. Whilst obviously he was to a certain degree first choice or had made himself first choice for Preston by the end of end of last season, and probably would like to get some serious football this um this coming season i think he would probably accept being rotated far more than armstrong would
0: yeah and that's kind of the basis for my decision is having him as the preferred option is that it's probably the most likely i mean it's probably more likely than the arm armstrong deal for the reasons that you just mentioned
1: and let's just let's say like it is probably the most likely is (laughs) grabbing
0: yeah probably on a free um but yeah, Archer I think he's I mean the numbers are pretty similar to what Armstrong put up in his twenty twenty one season for uh for Blackburn. So, you know, they're very, very quality high quality numbers. Um I think it was about not point five open Play XG per game, which equates to scoring a goal every other game if you play the full game, which is you know, that's brilliant.
1: Well, what, what one on Armstrong? Just uh, just to put it to you, Pete, when I was when I was going through who scored on this, do you see how many shots he take? He took per game for Blackburn, it's nearly five a game.
0: Yeah, and he's despite having a really high open play xG per game, his actual xG per shot is very low, and that would be why if he's taking a huge amount of shots. Um, but,
1: which, you know, which if... if our problem is finishing, actually his finishing isn't that good. He scores fifteen percent of his shots, so. Uh, you know there are uh, the others on the list are better finishers than Ad- i'm not i'm not saying we shouldn't sign adam armstrong by the way because i think he'd be a cracking signing but if our problem is that we miss too many chances the other three are better finishers than adam armstrong adam armstrong will get more chances because he's got unbelievable attributes and pace and gets into great areas but as pure penalty box finishers the other three are better than him aren't they
0: well, it's probably more of a case of getting shots off in good areas. I mean, he's taken a lot of shots and a pretty low XG um, put shot. So it's, I think a lot of those shots will be from outside the box in, or in wide areas or areas that aren't as um, threatening, which is probably why his conversion rates one in 15 or whatever. So that's more down to the areas he takes his shots. But, like you say, we do want a penalty box striker, probably the one that's going to get shots off in good areas. And Archer was very good at that last season. Um, I think he had he was in the the 80th percentile of strikers for his X super shot. So, you know, he gets them in really good areas, finishes at a good rate and gets a fair amount of them as well. So I think, yeah, based on all of that, he'd be my, my number one target.
1: The other thing with, with Archer for me, having looked at his numbers, he does a lot more than just score goals as well. He's, he, he's got decent dribbling numbers. He's got decent key passing numbers. He seems to link the play really well. The only, the only negative I could see with him is he lost the ball a lot more than any other Preston player last year, which probably comes from bringing in a 20 year old, you know, that it's, it's making the occasional bad decision, probably trying stuff. More than senior players or more senior players uh, would do, so I think there'd be, have to be an element of patience with him, with the Albion fans, and there'd have to be an element that we have seen before. Let's let's not beat around the bush here. That not just he's an Aston, he's an Aston Villa player, therefore we're going to get on his back a little bit because he's. I've seen players tagged with that, and I don't like it you know i don't- care. I don't really care where players have come from um it's it means nothing to me um and if he comes in and contributes then brilliant but I think he will he will make mistakes at twenty years old and he will try stuff that won't won't come off but my goodness me, looking at his numbers, he seems to work hard for the team
0: yeah, and he does um and like you say, if he comes in and scores ten fifteen goals as a backup striker, then I don't think anyone will care where he comes from. So, and he's a young kid, so he, he does need a bit of time to, to you know, get, get his confidence up and get scoring goals. So, hopefully if we do bring him, then that tag of he comes from Villa doesn't cause too many fans to get on his back. If he does, you know, does start off a bit poorly because he's shown that he has got quality. So, if you give him time and, you know, the support and delivery from, our creative players that we've got, then you know he will score goals and he will contribute. Um, so yeah, I think he would be an excellent signing to bring to bring in on loan.
1: Just to finish off the outgoings, Kipray already gone out on loan to Cardiff. Callum Robinson, heavily, heavily linked. In fact, to be honest, by the time I finished finished editing this, I wouldn't be shocked if he was a Preston player. Those two, Pete, right decision to 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 move them on.
0: Prey, um, I'd say yes definitely I don't think he's an awful player for the championship but I wouldn't want him in a back two basically I think his best attributes are in being aggressive defensively which obviously you want a bit more cover behind him um, and in his progressiveness and yeah basically ball playing ability which you kind of need more in a back three so if Bruce's basically made it obvious that we're not playing a back three. So I don't really see where Kipri would fit in. And I feel like he might be a bit of a liability if we did have to play him in a back two. So I think that's definitely the right decision. And on Robinson, um, I think he's a quality player at this level. Um, I think he creates chances and for his teammates and for himself. And he will get goals and assists. Um, so I think he will be a bit of a miss, obviously. A section of the fans, well, I think quite a large section of the fans had been fed up with him because he hadn't been putting in challenges or backing out of challenges and all that, which, okay, that's, you know, that's not good. But I think attacking quality, he's definitely got it and he would make a big, big impact if, you know, he had full support and good players around him. But, you know, we've brought in some good players as well. So despite it being a loss, I don't think it will make too much of an impact on our season.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree. I think Kipre had to move on with the volume of centre halves that we've got. I just I just didn't see that he was that he was going to play. I also don't think he's he's good enough. Um I think he's got some qualities driving out of defense, I get that, but he 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 seems to have too many mistakes in him. He he can be a liability at, at times. And it doesn't, you know, it's also a factor that you know what? What we're looking at now: four, four managers, four managers. Billich, Allardyce. Now, not Allardyce, to be fair, because he was out on loan when Allardyce came in. So, three managers: Billich, Val, and Bruce have all had a look at him and gone, "Nah, not for me." And that tells its own story for for me. I just, yeah, he. I don't think he was ever going to be at the level that that, that we needed him to him to be Robinson yeah I pretty much echo what uh, what uh, what you say Pete I think he's definitely got quality and he delivers decent numbers for the people out there who who like their top line numbers of goals and assists well he gets decent goal contributions he got 11 assists last season you can't uh, and I think it was seven goals as well you can't you can't knock the uh, the bloke really in terms of that but where you can knock him is what else does he bring to the team? Um, at times he is too weak in in challenges. Um, also on on top of that, yeah, he, he, his relationship with the fans was was dead in the water. And and, and what else are you gonna? And also he's he, he was too inconsistent. He was too inconsistent. Something that could be levelled at him and Grant, but he was even more inconsistent than Grant. And we need more consistent players rather than players who have a brilliant six weeks and then we don't see them for, for, for six weeks but really the relationship with the fans is what killed it for Callum Robinson if he still had a relationship with the supporters I would have been I would have been pro him staying but he doesn't so I'm not and, and that's the end of it for me. Um, just on the outgoings Pete and this is final word and then we'll uh, we will call it a day for the pod uh, for, for today but Does it tell its own story a little bit that Kipre, I would imagine, was a player that we probably would have liked to have moved on permanently? As I say, three managers have pretty much looked at him and gone, no. And we've moved him out on loan. From what I gather, I don't know whether Robinson will end up going permanently or on loan, but what has made this quite a difficult deal to do with Preston appears to be the fact that we want a permanent deal, they want a loan. Do both of these deals show the difficulties that we have had and will continue to have this summer in moving players on?
0: Yeah, definitely because I think we've got a lot of high end, um, good championship players, so obviously it's going to be championship clubs that are interested, not Premier League clubs, and then the issue there is that not a lot of championship clubs have got any money, and we want money because we need to make signings and we don't have that much money to make signings if we don't have money coming in, so you're selling to championship clubs that you know don't have that money to spend, so I think a lot of the signings will be, will be, uh, well, a lot of the outgoings will be, you know, loans, um, and maybe with an option to sign because then clubs can budget that a bit more and and be a bit more sure on their decisions if they've seen the player play for them in their system over a season rather than just buying them straight away and then finding out oh actually, you know, it he, he doesn't work how we want him to work, but we're stuck with this player on on these wages for however long.
1: What's known in the business as Kenza Horse Syndrome. Well, we'll call it a day there, uh, not least because I have to turn uh, turn my fan off every time I'm speaking, and if we continue this pod for much longer, I don't know about you, Pete, but I'm going to turn into beef jerky. So we will uh, we'll call it a day there, but we will be back next week to preview the Middlesbrough game and also do a bit of a general preview of the season as we give an overview of Albion squad. We've gone through it a bit uh, today, but we'll have another little look um, next week and. Also, we'll give our thoughts on who we think the baggies' main challenges might be. Very much working in the positive realm of we will be at the top end of the table. Who do we think will be up there with us? Hopefully, we're not um, muddling around in 10th again this coming season. In the meantime, if you want to chat to us about anything discussed on the pod or anything else for that matter, please do give us a follow and drop us a tweet on Twitter. Al- at Albion Analysis is the handle. But until next time, Thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albin have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Selling a little or a lot? because businesses that grow grow with shopify get a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash work shopify.com slash work this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network
0: talk sport powered by fans